let's thank our worship team and our tech team and our children's workers today. Well, I'm always happy to give uh, Corey a break, and so it's been good to be here today. Uh, I've said before and will keep saying that it's never been harder in our lifetime to be a pastor, and Corey does a faithful job to, to do a great job of that. Let's show him some appreciation. And if you're a guest with us today, and this is the first time, and you're disappointed that you're not going to be able to meet Corey, I apologize for that. Uh, if this doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. Uh, come back next week, and Corey will be here, and it will be better, and I know he'll look forward to a chance to meet you and uh, learn your story and what's going on with you. Uh, we will be continuing the study in Proverbs this morning, and the topic I've been assigned is the tongue. And we've been studying Proverbs and have learned how it really is a, a very practical book about uh, godly living and making good choices. It's very practical, and we will see the same kind of thing as we look at Proverbs when it comes to the tongue this morning. Uh, join me in prayer, if you will. Lord, as we've gathered this morning, uh, we're aware of so many things that are happening around us. Uh, weather issues from coast to coast, uh, disasters, scary, frightening things. Lord, uh, we pray for relief in the, for those people living in those places and that the services that they need will be provided to them to, to give them a chance to try to get life back to normal. We're also aware of wars and rumors of wars all around the world, and if we just don't know what to make of that sometimes, Lord. We pray for peace. We pray that your spirit will overshadow those who are determined to, to bring violence and to force their own way on others. We pray for protection for innocent victims. We've come here from all kinds of places with all kinds of baggage this morning. Some of us are excited to be here, and we just can't hardly contain our excitement and our desire to praise you, but others come with burdens on their hearts. It's been a tough week. Hard at work, emotional issues, family issues, sickness. Lord, we trust you to meet each of those needs as best for that person because you are a good God and we can trust you. And now as we open your word, I pray that the things I say will be clear and true and point to you, in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I was uh, given the topic of the tongue this morning and was thinking about that and getting ready, one image just burned into my mind, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. I hope we're able to do that. I probably overworked all the tech people this morning. Are we able to get that or not? There we are. Uh, I think most of you recognize Ralphie and what the situation is there. Some of you may even be able to testify uh, to what's happening there and what that's all about. And there may be a few, especially of the younger ones, that have no idea what this is all about. And you just need to talk to your grandparents is all I can say. Those of us who have children are excited when they say their first words. 
and then we can't seem to teach them how to control them, can we? Goodness, we spend years trying to teach them to be discerning in their speech, not to talk in school, unless you're asked to talk. Like what to say, and when to say it, and what not to say. And that sometimes how you say something is more important than what you say. To be fair, using the tongue is pretty confusing. And when we look around, we see that uh, these are lessons most adults haven't gotten down yet. Or at least they choose to ignore them. You know, the average person speaks about 11 million words a year. You probably know somebody that says a few more. Words are important. Words matter. They don't just convey information. They are powerful. It's the way we share our feelings and our dreams. Words can create or destroy things. Words encourage or humiliate. Words can comfort or injure. Learning how to use our tongue is essential for living a good life. No wonder there are over a hundred verses in Proverbs alone that deal with the issue of speech. And, and usually it's the, by poetic imagery referring to the body parts we use to speak, the mouth, the lips, the tongue. But when we read those verses, we know anatomy is not the issue. But this is not just a loose connection, a collection of admonitions found only in the book of Proverbs or only in the New Testament or with our Old Testament with questionable relevance because you can find the very same wisdom in the very same form in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Peter 3.10, we read, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Or in James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. In fact, James included almost a whole chapter on the tongue in his letter that would feel right at home in the book of Proverbs. Obviously, Scripture, both old and new, takes the tongue quite seriously. And while there are many short sayings about the tongue in Proverbs, there's no sustained discussion or presentation like there has been for some of the other issues in Proverbs that Corey has already covered. The, the wisdom sayings concerning the tongue in Proverbs cover the last two-thirds, are found in the last two-thirds of the book. And they're scattered here and there in snippets, and that's a real challenge for preaching or teaching. And so you may be frustrated today with the Bible drill to try to keep up with things, and so maybe you'd be find it a little bit more fruitful just to read the verses as we project them and take notes so that you can read later. With so much material, I can't possibly do a complete verse-by-verse -verse study uh, on, on the topic today, so I'm going to try to hit enough highlights on things to give you a framework to think about what does the Bible have to say about the tongue, and I hope you find it helpful. Corey's already shown us that Proverbs is not simply a set of arbitrary rules that we mechanically follow and everything's going to be fine. Proverbs invites us to practice godly wisdom by considering and discerning the consequences of our actions. And that's especially true when it comes to managing our tongue. 
So, let's look at what Proverbs has to say about the tongue. One of the first principles that we find repeatedly in Proverbs is hold your tongue. In other words, don't rush to speak. And that seems a little counterintuitive considering what the topic is. It's supposed to be about talking, and, we're supposed to, and it says don't talk. Proverbs 17, 28 is a great example of this. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. This may be humorously tongue-in-cheek. If you want to be thought wise, just keep your mouth shut. And people will never be sure then. They'll wonder about what you like. That's some kind of motivation, I guess. I don't know. Seriously, though, the, the verse presses home the point that's it, or the, of its premise that's found in the verse right before it, Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Well, first of all, the, the two parts of this verse are not two different things. It's a common poetic style that's found in the Bible called parallelism. And it's the, the, the one who has knowledge is parallel to the one who has understanding. And the phrase, the one who uses words with restraint, is parallel to the one who is even tempered. Sometimes these kind of parallels are synonymous and sometimes they're antithetical. In this particular case, they're synonymous. They're saying the same thing in two parallel ways. It's not two different things going on here. Now, the point is that the Bible does not advocate silence as an end in itself. We're not required as Christians to take a vow of silence and never speak again and avoid all the bad things that can happen when we talk. And it's certainly not an encouragement to disengage from people and to just isolate ourselves. Proverbs presents holding our tongue as the intentional practice of someone who is wise and understanding. There's wisdom in listening first. It's an old observation, but it's nevertheless true that God gave us two ears and one mouth. You know, anatomically, listening is a priority or should be the priority for us, and we should listen understand rather than listening to try to find a place for us to interject and take over the conversation and talk about our concerns and our issues. Close listening requires us to focus our attention on the speaker, not on ourselves or our agenda. We pay attention to each word and how it's said, and we try to place ourselves in the position of the speaker to better understand. It's hard, and it's demanding. I think it's a holy discipline. Fundamentally, listening is a posture of respect for the speaker. We're respecting them as a person. But beyond respect, holding our tongue also gives us time for thought and discernment. And that time gets lost when our tongue too quickly jumps into gear to do its thing, and it disengages from the mind. And in that sense, silence is practical. Like Proverbs 15, 8 says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Weighing our answer, listening, thinking, 
Discerning takes time. And that time is lost when our tongue lashes out. And the consequence is empty, meaningless speech that can be counterproductive, if not destructive, violent, or evil. Lastly, listening carefully in order to give a thoughtful response builds up community life. It makes our relationships better. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. The wise person knows that a conversation with a neighbor is not a battlefield on which they can win an argument or force their position on another. A conversation is an opportunity to strengthen relationship and to build community even if we disagree. I fear that the pernicious loss of community in our nation today is directly directly linked to our inability, our unwillingness to hold our tongues and listen first. Too often, we make quick, thoughtless responses to issues that are driven by an unconscious need for self-righteousness. We need to be right, and we need to convince and overpower or humiliate the other person to maintain our position of right, because it's absolutely essential that we be right. And unfortunately, we've got too many public leaders right now leading us in the wrong direction when it comes to holding our tongue. We underestimate the power of holding our tongue and of speaking carefully and wisely. Jesus demonstrated the power of silent and careful, measured speech in the dramatic story that's recorded in John 8. You know it as the story of the woman taken in adultery. And you remember the scene. Jesus is teaching in the temple, in the courts. And a crowd led by the Pharisees and other Bible teachers come to him with a mob dragging a sinful woman asking a stupid question that's designed for solely to trap Jesus. We would be outraged. Just imagine what our response to that situation would be. Just who do you think you are? You come in here interrupting my class. You drag a sinful woman into the holiest place on the face of this earth wouldn't be hard for any of us to finish that tirade. We'd know how that would go. That script would be easy to run. But instead, Jesus said nothing. Nothing. He didn't abuse them for interrupting his class. He didn't debate the law with them. He didn't demand more details about how this woman was taken in the situation she was. He didn't berate or demean either the people or the woman. He simply knelt and doodled in the sand. I know all the speculation about what he may have written in the sand, but I tell you, 
The Bible doesn't tell any of that, and I believe that if it were important, it would have been told to us. I think he's just doodling in the sand, letting the silence work its thing. And after a while, stands up and looks the mob straight in the eye and calmly says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. And then kneels back down, starts doodling again. And slowly, the accusers slink away as the power of those words sink in. Six words in Greek. That's all he says. Six words. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. You know the rest of the story, but this is the only thing Jesus said to the accuser. Nothing else. And with six short words and long pauses of silence before and after, Jesus de-escalated a potentially violent situation. He dispersed an angry mob. He redeemed a woman. And he taught an important lesson. That's the power of a controlled tongue, a tongue held and used with discernment. The second principle found frequently in Proverbs is tell the truth. Proverbs 12, 22 is typical on this. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs describes lying tongues as wicked, hateful, perverse, corrupt and destructive. Lying tongues produce ruin, injustice, strife, violence. Lying's not arbitrarily wrong. God just made that up. Lying is wrong because of its horrible, rippling consequences. Lying, lies, come back to haunt us personally. We know that. They never work out the way we imagine they will. Never. Lies destroy relationships. Lies undermine community. Lies go on and on, assuming a life of their own. They can't be called back. Even if we apologize, damage is done. And in today's social media, a lie has eternal life. It comes back again and again and again and destroys again every time it comes back. Every culture I know has norms against lying. Civilization itself depends on truth-telling and trust. And most of us, regardless of the culture we grew up in, learn that as children. One of the stories most of us growing up in America, the George Washington and the cherry tree, which ironically is not true, but it, it was one of those things that was taught us to teach us that lying's not good. It's not good. We're better people when we tell the truth. And still we do it. Children learn young, and the old never give it up. And some make lie in a career. Why do we lie? Why do we insist on doing that? 
Now, I'm not talking about those white lies like uh, that ugly tie you gave me for Christmas or that questionable hairdo that cost $50 or those uh, incorrect uh, directions that I gave you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those deliberate, intentional, out-and-out lies and the half-truths we tell to try to support those lies. You, you, you might be surprised to learn that there's been psychological research done on the reasons we lie. And you guess what those are? The number one reason people lie is to avoid judgment or punishment. And the number two reason people lie is to gain something, usually by intimidating or manipulating another person. Now think about it. Most of our lying is fundamentally about protecting ourselves or gaining something for ourselves. Lying is motivated by selfishness, self-centeredness, narcissism. Call it what you will. The Bible says it's idolatry. It's idolatry because in telling a lie, I'm making myself the most important thing in the universe. What I want, what I will lie about is more important than my relationship to you. I lie because that thing that I want and I think I deserve is more important than anything else in the universe. I lie because I deserve to have this. I lie because I'm more important than the community that I live and work in. Lying is a religious act of sacrifice anything and anyone to myself. It's idolatry. That's why God detests lying position that we try to make of ourselves. The third principle we repeatedly find in Proverbs is the tongue is powerful. Several examples here real quickly from Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse trunk, tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, this is the nailer. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Growing up, we all learned that little ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Baloney. We all know that's not true. We say that ditty to try to soothe words that have hurt us. We teach that ditty to our children to help them cope with words that have hurt them. The tongue quite literally has the power of life and death, just like Proverbs says. And we set that awful power loose with our snide, demeaning hurtful speech toward our children, our spouses, our friends, our co-workers. We verbally crush business people and service workers who fail to meet our expectations. We devalue conversation by filling it with vulgarity. We intentionally, intentionally wound people we don't like. But this deadly power operates not only on individuals, it operates at the level of communities and organizations and nations, too. 
a word on Facebook can start a violent riot or recruit terrorists. A word on Twitter can destroy a large organization or vaporize a fortune. A word on YouTube can start set nations to war. And last week, Corey concluded that first third of Proverbs with the, the choice that's set before us to choose wisdom or to choose folly. Nowhere does that kind of choice stand more stark in stark contrast than it does when it comes to the tongue. The tongue has the power of life and death. Look at some of the other examples of contrast that we have here from Proverbs. Proverbs 10:11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked feels violence. Proverbs 11:11. 11, 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. In 1624, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bone. Ooh, I love that last. What a life verse that would be. I think maybe Paul had it in mind when he wrote to the Colossians, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The contrast is real. The wise tongue is gracious, healing, edifying, blessing, and life-giving. But the foolish tongue spawns violence, pierces like a sword, crushes spirits, and destroys. The choice is before us. Choose life. Choose wisdom. Finally, <clears throat> all this matters because the tongue reveals the heart. The words formed by our tongue start here. It all starts here. Proverbs 16:23. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, their lips promote instruction. In contrast, Proverbs 24:2, speaking of the wicked, for their heart plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. Jesus said it more directly in Luke 6.45, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The heart overflows into our tongue and our speech. That's where that all comes from. Christians should be leading the way with thoughtful, life-giving speech, seeking to build community and to bless people. But too often, Christian tongues can't be distinguished full-on pagan in the public square. Obviously, there's a lot to cleaning up our speech, more than just eliminating a few vulgar words here and there, more even than a bar of life boy can fix. We need a heart job. The heart's got to be taken care of. There's no point in pretending that this is easy or that it's a one and done. James and Paul both had to remind believers in their day. For example, from James 3.10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, 
this should not be. For Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. These would not have been written if it wasn't a problem in the early church. It's always been there. And so receive this today not as a condemnation, but as a biblical reminder that our speech matters and that our speech reveals what's going on in our hearts. Let's all repent, confess how we have injured others and destroyed relationships with our unbridled tongue. Let's open the dark places of our hearts up and let Christ work his redeeming, cleansing work there better than any life boy ever can. Let's all resolve to use our tongues as mature believers, encouraging, building up, blessing all those that we speak with every day. Let's pray as our musicians come. Lord, we confess we have used our tongues in self-centered, destructive ways. Cleanse our hearts of selfishness, anger, hatred, but fill our hearts with your grace and love that it might flow through our tongue. Use our tongue, your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.